0: Hello and welcome to Let's Shape the Future, sponsored by Beamery. I'm your host Ben Dickinson and this is a show where I chat with business leaders, inspiring individuals and more about who and what is shaping the world we live in. If you do enjoy the content, please leave a review and share with any friends, family, colleagues or anyone else you think would also enjoy. Without further ado, let's crack on with the final episode of Season 3. I've got to say, uh, I don't think I've been this excited at 9am in a very long time um, on the final episode of Let's Shape the Future Season 3. I'm joined by none other than Daniel Gallo, Chief People Officer at McLaren Racing to chat all things talent, leadership and, of course, motorsport. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Daniel. It's it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Ben,
1: pleasure's mine. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: Thanks. So, now, I know you've worked in a large array of industries and roles. So with my guests, I'd love to sort of understand how your career has evolved over time up to the role that you're in now.
1: Well, I've been in this game a long time, Ben, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, uh, the shortened version. I mean, look, I've, I've been in HR is all I've ever done. I was fortunate to fall into it as a profession. It wasn't intentional. I didn't study it at university. So I feel lucky in that respect that I really found an affinity with kind of the the discipline that I've been able to carve a career out of, and so yeah, without giving away my age, I've been doing this gig now for 23 years, Uh, so I'm in my third decade, which is scary saying that out loud. But yeah, look, I've you know I've had a really varied career, and and I feel privileged to have had the career I've had, and what's always driven and motivated me is Variety and change and experiences and you know, look, just seeing the world, but seeing the world of HR from lots mm. of different aspects, and that's not for everyone. You, you know, it, that that's been a very individual thing, and is consistent with my personality and probably my my angle on HR, which is very transformation change orientated. But yeah, seeing what I do in different sectors, there's a lot of parallels, but also it brings a lot of difference you know you can't just do the same thing in different businesses and different sectors so I've always enjoyed that challenge and that stretch to kind of learn new organizations and understand dig under you know kind of what their real organizational challenges are and come up with solutions and, and and really try and drive value through through what HR brings to the table so yeah I've been in Retail, I've been in banking, I've been in IT, I've been in telco, I've been, I spent a long stint in aviation, which was fascinating. And then here I am in sport. Um, you know, not sure how I got there. Uh, it was just, you know, an opportunity that came along, as is often the case, and it piqued my interest. Um, and yeah, I've been in the sports sector now for four. So uh, yeah, four years. So yeah, loads of variety. lived all over the world, uh, worked with some phenomenal people, had some amazing leaders to learn from, had some not so amazing leaders to also learn from. Um, I think that's the rich tapestry of the career that I've enjoyed creating.
0: Mm. I think it's interesting what you say there, like you learn as much from the good leaders as the bad leaders. And so you learn of you learn what you don't want to be as a leader as much as what you do want to be. So that's, that's interesting. Well, just on that point, where would you say is the best place you've lived?
1: Well, best place that well, look, Ben, as a, as a, as a Northerner, uh, I, I did, I have spent time in, I've lived in Leeds, I've lived mm. in Manchester, uh, Cheshire, and I've always got an affinity to, to that, but I've lived in Chicago,
0: nice. uh,
1: which was, uh, which was awesome. I have to be honest. Um, But, you know, actually on and off, I've spent a lot of my career in in the southeast around London. I'm now in the home counties. And there's just something special, I think, about about London and Greater London. The the vibe, uh, you know, it's a real business epicenter of the world. and, And I've probably had some of my best professional and personal experiences, I'd say, probably down south, which my... My northern brethren will hate me saying that, <laughs> but I'll, I'll always be a northerner at heart. But I have been adopted by the south.
0: I think, especially with the the office you've got at McLaren, you um, can't complain much about that, right?
1: It is pretty cool. It's uh, yes. It's, it, 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 even now, after three years, it inspires me every day that I walk in there, and I really missed it actually during COVID, and now we're starting to go back in. It it really again it re-emphasizes the importance of the working environment Mm -hmm. you know and the contribution that makes to you know performance and productivity and uh, you know kind of talent uh, and how they feel about an organization and yeah and I'm privileged to work in such a a beautiful and uh, an iconic building for sure.
0: Absolutely and obviously I'd be very surprised if A lot of people hadn't heard of McLaren Racing, but they may not know just how far past F1 it goes. Could you give us a view of who McLaren Racing are, but also the different types of racing that you're involved in as an organisation?
1: Yeah, sure, Ben. Um, I mean, look, McLaren Racing has been around for 60 years. uh, And I think, you know, particularly with things like Drive to Survive, the Netflix Mm -hmm. series, it has become quite a whole, you know, uh, uh, household Name and brand, maybe more so than it used to be, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, look, we've been in all sorts of different motorsports over the years, but F one has always been our staple. Formula One, uh, obviously, the pinnacle of, of of motorsports. But we are a growing franchise as well. We're now in multiple motorsport series. We own an IndyCar team, which is based, which is a North American racing series, uh, which is super exciting. Uh, probably most famous for the Indy five hundred. Uh, most people have, have heard of that, which is one of the, the races on the calendar. Uh, this year was our inaugural year into a pretty new racing series called Extreme E, uh, And Extreme, e, very exciting for us. It's uh, as well as just being a pretty cool uh, motorsport with these mad electric vehicle, Honor style, uh, uh, super fast race cars going across, going across mad terrain it really is shining a light on diversity and environmental sustainability which is really important to us and our agenda so it's great to be part of of that race series as well Uh, and then we also have uh, a large uh, esports race series as well we were one of the pioneers of that many many years ago and as we know you know kind of online sports and, and in particular racing is growing in in popularity so yeah so we're a A really diverse company nowadays and uh, I've got no doubt we will continue to grow there's still lots of other motorsports out there that I I wouldn't put it past us to be part of in the future
0: as you say I think um, a lot of it is increasing your audience across all ages backgrounds etc interests and as you mentioned drive to survive I've noticed especially in the states a, a lot of that has picked up and just as a sport in general obviously you've got the miami grand prix coming up they're talking about the vegas one in a couple of years like it's great to see formula one obviously it was already global but in terms of fan base going even further um and obviously your role within mclaren racing is a chief people officer and some people may not know exactly what that entails so what is the role of a cpo and what does day-to-day life look like for you gosh ben
1: you're gonna
0: make me think about what i actually do um No pressure. No
1: pressure. Um, so look, the, the, if, if I try and distill it down, so for me, the role of a Chief People Officer, or, or, well, let me talk about what it, what it is to me, because it will yep. look different to different uh, practitioners and, and different organisations. So for me, my role as a Chief People Officer is to look at what the long-term strategic needs are when we think about the role that workforce and the role that culture play in us achieving our ambitions as a team, as a sports team, and as a business. Uh, And those ambitions, by the way, are for all the motorsports series that we enter. We want to be competing for world championships and winning world championships. You know, that is what our ultimate performance goal is. So what what does that mean in practice? Sounds good. So, you know, what we're looking at is how do we extract the maximum performance, the maximum productivity, and the maximum motivation from our workforce, our people, our human assets—right—who are real competitive differentiators. You know, yes, you can partly competition is driven by how much money you have. Part of it is driven by the quality of the tools and the infrastructure you have. But actually, for me and and within McLaren and the exec, we all know that the biggest differentiator that's going to help us achieve our ambitions are our people and we have some wonderful people. So our agenda really tries to break that down and I often liken the role of HR uh, but, but by de facto my role it is like a jigsaw okay if you imagine the organization is mapped onto a jigsaw and you're looking at each individual piece and looking at how you optimize that piece. And that is looking at every touch point we have with our people. Mm -hmm. So that is looking at talent acquisition and how do we bring in the brightest and the best talent uh, into this organization? How do we onboard them? How do we then manage that talent, develop their careers and give them a a really prosperous future within the organization? How do we develop people's skills and capabilities to be the best version of themselves and to contribute as much as they can? Importantly, how do we reward people? Right. You know, it's uh, and how do we use reward to really motivate and incentivize people again to perform at their very best? Um, you know, looking at diversity and inclusion, as I've mentioned, and how do I create the most diverse and representative sports team that is there? So we've got diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of decision making, because that's where performance comes from. But then I think what is probably quite unique to a sports team, because you could say any chief people officer in any organisation is thinking about those things. For us, because we're a sports team, we also spend a lot of time within our agenda looking at human performance. So looking at nutritional welfare, mental welfare, uh, looking at physical welfare. And that's not just the drivers and the race team, that's looking at the entire organisation. So we have, I have a thousand people, all feeling like elite athletes and really wanting to bring their best version of themselves to work every single day. So we spend a lot of time on that aspect uh, as well. So, you know, look, it's a very diverse remit uh, that that we have. And just to, you know, put a shout out there, look, I have a wonderful, uh, talented HR team. Uh, You know, I get to do the big thinking and, And, you know, kind of all of that stuff and nice engagements like this, Ben, but, you know, the real heroes of this are, you know, the HR professionals in my team who are out there day in, day out working with the organisation to develop the best structures and the best ways of working to really help us succeed. So uh, maybe a slightly long-winded answer, Ben, but I do get passionate about this stuff. So that's how I summarise the role of the CPO, but also the HR team more broadly.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think one thing you said there about how it's not just about people like Lando and Danny Rick feeling like the best physical versions of themselves and mental, but actually all the other employees. And But it's also tailoring what that means to those different people. Like, for example, you're not going to have um, people in HR doing the G-Force training with their neck, but there'll <laughs> be obviously... Yeah, gonna, they yeah, they might do. it. <laughs> might want to give it a go. Um, but uh, as you say, I hadn't thought about how of the business should look at the physical performance of all of their employees and not just if they have um, world-class athletes. I know that's, that's really interesting. And um, now regular viewers of the show will will know that I love to have a little section of let's shape the future where we try and strip back the job title and get to know, I guess um, a bit more personally. And to help with that, I have just a couple of quick fire questions in a section that I like to call what has shaped the guest. Does that sound okay, Daniel? Hey, bring it on, Ben. Let's go. No worries. So apart from, of course, watching McLaren, what's your favourite activity to do at the weekend?
1: Uh, my favourite activity uh, is uh, having two small children <laughs> is, uh, and, and having a busy job. Look, the weekends for me are really important. So I love spending time with my five and seven year old and my wife, of course. Uh, getting out and about, exploring the world, playing board games, watching films 20 times over, whatever it is they need from daddy uh, at the weekend. So I think between work and a young family, uh, I don't have any exciting or interesting hobbies, <laughs> Then I'm afraid. I'm one of those uh, boring uh, daddy professionals, but uh, maybe I'll take up chess or base jumping or something in a few years' time.
0: Yeah, I mean, that sounds good to me. Um, and you mentioned their film, so... It's been the end of a long week, and you decide to kick back on the sofa. You have got a drink in your hand, and you're watching something on the TV. What's the drink in your hand, and what are you watching on the TV?
1: What's the drink in my hand? Well, if I'm gonna, if if it's alcoholic, and uh, I am, yeah, I'm quite good. I don't, I don't drink that often, other than special occasions. Uh, just can't cope with hangovers at my age, Ben. I've got to be honest. But my go-to, is I can't a, do it a, at my age. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely no hope for me then. Uh, nice glass of red wine. Nice. Uh, if it's uh, if it's a boozy drink, um, uh, otherwise uh, it's a it's a boring glass of water. I've got to be honest. I'm not exciting in that domain. Uh, oh, my go-to film. Gosh, I love films. I have to say, it's my real switch-off moment. Um, Gladiator. I have nice. to be honest, is just one of my favourites. And if I'm in a rom-com mood, Notting Hill every nice. day of the week. So, yeah, that's, I'm putting it out there, Ben. That's, and that shows, that, you know, from Notting Hill to Gladiator, that's quite a, that's quite a broad spectrum.
0: Yeah, I, um, it's fine. I, I did an episode with uh, a guy from Air Canada recently, and we were talking about the same sort of thing with films. And I went um, with work. I was in Miami. It was quite a long flight in December. And uh, I was saying that on the way there, I watched uh, Creed 2 first. And then I watched The Notebook. So it was quite, again, quite quite a varied range between, um, between genres. Diversity, but...
1: is the, diversity is the spice of life, Ben. Exactly. It's so exactly. uh, is, is good.
0: A, a little cry didn't hurt anybody. Um, <laughs> and uh, so what, um, what's your favourite track that you've ever been to? And also, is there one that you can't wait to visit that you haven't been to before? Oh, that's a good question. COVID
1: has limited my ability to get to track, so I haven't been to that many. I was fortunate enough to go to uh, the Indianapolis Speedway last year,
0: Nice.
1: and that's just an iconic track. It's only it's an oval track, so some hardened racers would say it's not a real track, but it's uh, it's, it's brutal for the drivers. Uh, so that I just love being there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then I was fortunate enough to be at Abu Dhabi uh, Yas Marina for the end of last season, which was obviously quite a dramatic close to the F1 season. Uh, those of us who, uh, for those who follow. Uh, and that is a nighttime course. Abu Dhabi is, is stunning, uh, so that was a real, real privilege to be there. Where do I want to go? That's a good question. Um, uh, probably Zandfort, which is the new oh, yeah. race in the Netherlands, just because I've heard the party atmosphere and everyone knows the uh, the max fan base. Mm-hmm. are uh pretty uh pretty committed so i think that would be a, a great atmosphere to experience
0: and at least that way you can kind of you can claim the orange wall being mclaren as much as as much as red bull <laughs> <laughs> nice nice good answer <laughs> um, and then uh, finally who is your biggest inspiration and what lessons did you learn from them
1: oh I've been asked this question so many times over the years uh, Ben and it does it does change I think as I've got older I've moved away from kind of famous influencers who I've maybe never met and seen from afar to real people uh who have just played a, a, a key role in in, in my personal and professional life um you know a lot I think one of uh, when I worked in aviation I uh, worked with lots of different bosses, but I I had two bosses in particular uh, there. And because they're real real people, I may not mention their names, but if they watch this, they'll know who they are because I've told them personally the positive influence they had. Mm. But one was my group HR director who brought me in and the other was one of my divisional CEOs. And, you know, they really shaped, I think, my thinking around the HR discipline and the role that it plays and the value that it can create if you come to the table with the right mindset. Um, and one of them in particular used to say to me, she, you know, and she'd been in HR all of her working career, and she said to me, you know, as you get to the top table and you're there representing HR, she said to me, and this has stayed with me, you have to think like a business leader first and a HR professional second and not the other way around. Okay. And what she was getting at with that is, you know, you've got to be commercial. You've got to be able to stand on your own two feet around uh, those tables, and you know, be able to compete for airtime, be able to have the level of kind of intellect and insight around board-based business performance. Mm-hmm. You happen to be bringing in expertise around the role the people agenda has to play in that, and that really stuck with me, and that really helped me evolve myself and, and my practice. And the and the CEO I mentioned was just so passionate about the role that people played and really lived and breathed that. He walked the talk and he really inspired me. You know, CEOs can be quite commercial animals and whilst they may get the importance of people, it's, it can be a little bit transactional in that they, they kind of, well, we know people are important rather than I really believe in, you know, creating a wonderful working environment that people want to belong to. Uh, and I took, and again, it was a real privilege to work with him and I'm still in contact with both of them. They were very positive influencers. Uh, and so I'm grateful to, to those. So yeah, so I get I've not put the names out there, Ben, but they are real people, real examples that influence
0: me. No, no, appreciate that. And sorry to interrupt guys, and I hope you're enjoying the conversation. As we reach the halfway point of the show, I'd just like to talk to you a little bit about the sponsors of today's episode of Let's Shape the Future, Bea Marie. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform helps the world's largest organizations deliver more human experiences for talent and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce. Whether you're struggling to compete for the best talent, and looking to move the needle on your DEI objectives, or simply leverage AI to drive more efficiency, then Beamery could be the best next step in your talent transformation journey. If you'd like to learn more, then visit beamry.com or reach out to me directly and I can put you in contact with the right people. Now, let's get back to the episode. Then obviously, so moving on to something you just said there. So previously, in a lot of organizations, HR may not have had a prevalent seat at that top table, but recently there's loads of, studies going around that says HR's actually got the hottest seat at that top table nowadays. Have you seen the mindset around talent shift over your career? Um, And how has your role then sort of changed over time with that mentality around talent, obviously shifting as well? Uh, It's a really
1: interesting question, Ben. And look, I think like any discipline, it evolves over time. A discipline can't stagnate. You know the world has changed, you know, the digital era is upon us. The, the you know, how you need to communicate and engage, and how people consume content. So, all of these kind of macro, environmental, and social factors have, you know, I think required businesses as a whole to evolve, uh, but in particular, the workplace and the workforce, mm-hmm. and therefore, there has been an opportunity for HR to play quite a pivotal role in helping businesses redefine themselves and the relationship they have with their people. Um, Now, from a personal point of view, it's interesting because, you know, I where I learned my HR discipline was in an organization where HR already had a dominant seat at the table. It was a very, very people centric organization. And that, for me, set the tone. So I've got to be honest, bar one example, I've only ever worked in organizations because I've actively sought it out, that HR has already been quite a dominant and positive influence within the organization. So the things I've seen where HR maybe hasn't had that same voice, uh, I've seen from afar and just through my networking conversations. But look, you know, HR has evolved. I think 20 years ago, it was quite back office. It was quite transactional. It was about just bringing people in and, you know, doing quite a lot of administrative activity. Hmm. Where I see it today is to your opening on that question, Ben. Absolutely. It is a critical strategic partner advisor, you know, to the organization, to the CEO and to the other executives. And, you know, there has been this overused term about the war for talent, right? But look, you know, (laughs) it's a very competitive marketplace, You know, high quality people have choice and therefore understanding how you differentiate yourself as an organization, your brand, you know, the increasing focus on purpose over profit, your sustainability credentials, you know, the experiences you give give people, not just the money, you know, not just the promotions, but actually holistically, do you care about me as a human being that the advent of hybrid working and, you know, work being what you do, not a place you go to. So the world of work has become a much more complex, diverse, dynamic environment that HR has to help businesses navigate. And I think it's, a, it's not an overstatement and COVID has sharpened the focus on this, certainly, that you know, organizations that don't embrace this and don't evolve and don't give HR a strong voice at the table, over time, will lose their relevance and their competitiveness in the market to bring in early talent. You know, you know, young people have very different views of the world and priorities to a lot of the people my age who look like me and sound like me. And, you know, but but look, I say that not as a negative because, you, you know, certainly from what I'm seeing and what the evidence is suggesting in my own experiences is businesses understand this right and so it, it is wonderful from a personal point of view to be in an organization that really understands the importance of people and having a progressive people agenda uh, to bring in the best retain the best mm. uh, irrespective of what your purpose of organization uh, uh, is so yeah that that that, that would, you know that would be my kind of read on on the last couple of decades that i've been doing this this job
0: no brilliant and to some of your points there would you say there's a direct correlation between successful talent attraction and employee experience once they're in the business and the success of mclaren's racing teams obviously racing is one on such fine margins that having the best and brightest is so is presumably so pivotal because that could be the difference between top three and fifth or sixth and obviously in terms of from a business perspective the amount of uh, prize money and stuff is dependent on where you come. So is that where, especially in your type of industry, it sort of amplified the importance of having the best and brightest within your organisation?
1: And without without a doubt, but I think
0: you touch on a a couple
1: of interesting points there. You know, uh, bringing in the brightest and best is only one part of it. Yeah, any company can position itself in the market as a, you know, We're cool, we're this, you know, come to us, you'll have an amazing career. Hey, we'll pay you loads of money. But, you know, that authenticity of bringing people in and then what the reality is as an organisation is critically important. So the second point you mentioned is that correlation then between engagement and performance output. And, you know, and that's where we equally have to focus our attention, which is once you land in McLaren, are we a great place to work? Do you feel respected, nurtured, empowered um, you know, fairly rewarded, like you can have a career, like you have a voice. And we've been on a journey of really focusing in on that. And it's a continued journey. We're not there yet. Like we're only three years into this journey and it takes years and years. You can't do everything all at once. But, you know, back to my earlier point around what my role is and what my team's focus is, you know, the, the it is undeniable. The correlation between the people you have And their level of motivation and engagement directly relates to their productivity, discretionary effort, how hard they work, the quality of the outputs, the performance they generate, um, you know, and that willingness to go the extra mile, because let's be clear. Have been in a sports team is high demand, right? This is not a nine to five environment for us, it is not a Monday to Friday environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it is uh, you know, 23 races in a calendar. We ask a huge amount from our people, so therefore, the counterbalance is uh, what's in it for you, and and definitely so. So, yes, there is a direct correlation, but it doesn't just stop at the front door by going hey we've recruited some amazing people because if you don't deliver then on the rest of that journey uh, you end up in a revolving door environment where people quickly become disenfranchised with you as an organization and performance inevitably takes a huge hit if that's the case
0: yeah no absolutely and as you mentioned earlier like DEI and i has become a huge part of every organisation, and rightfully so, and um, especially within motorsport over the last couple of years, being that on the track, in the paddock, or back at the factory. How important do you think it is, or has been, for the sport, for topics like this to finally be addressed? And do you have any examples of initiatives that McLaren have in terms of how they're addressing DE&I? Like I, I read um, about an alliance, um, McLaren Racing Engage, I think it was called, which um, which I thought was amazing.
1: Good research, Ben. <laughs> That's
0: good what I'm research. here for. That's what I'm here
1: for. <laughs> um, look, diversity and inclusion is something I'm personally very passionate about. It's been a staple in in my career for for, for well over the last you know, last decade. But you know, from a motorsports point of view, um, you know, the fact that this has now been amplified as an agenda, I think, is critically important. And I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's good for the sport. And from a McLaren perspective it was something we were already focusing on. Mm. Um, you know, I think the there's definitely been an amplification from, uh, you know, Lewis, the Lewis Hamilton Commission, you know, on the back of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And and that is a, a really positive, you know, kind of thing. Um, but, you know, when I think about this from a, from, from a McLaren's point of view and from, from mine and the exec's perspective, look, there are two aspects to this. One is the moral and ethical obligation, right, mm. which is it's the right thing to do. Yeah, we live in a modern society, although with current news items, you you, you do sometimes feel challenged by that. But, yep. it, you know, you have to stay positive and focused on these things. You know, it's a shame that this topic is still a topic. Right. But it yep. still is. And I look forward to the day, hopefully in my lifetime, where I no longer need a head of diversity and inclusion because it's just it's just it, it, it's just dumb. But then there is another harder side to this, which is about performance. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it is proven in so many academic papers and real, uh, you know, organizations that having a diverse organization, but one that is also inclusive, because, again, you can bring diversity through the front door. But if they don't, they don't feel a sense of belonging and inclusion and having an equal voice to their, uh, to their peers, then it's a fruitless exercise. And so I look at that from both angles and I'm hugely proud of McLaren's stance on this and it's proactivity by which we've engaged with this agenda. Um, and yes, you, 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 rightly called out McLaren Mason engage. That was our flagship uh, solution that we launched to really drive uh, the DNI agenda from, from multiple angles. One as an employer. So how do we diversify our own workforce? Right. And we are, if you look at a race team, well, lots of things, right? We're a marketing organization. We are a uh, commercial organization. We are a manufacturing organization and we're a technical organization. Mm -hmm. You know, STEM is huge, right, for us. And so how do we play an active role through STEM and, you know, really trying to encourage more younger people into a career in STEM, number one, and then hopefully into a career in motorsports and breaking down some of the barriers around where, you know, financial background is a limiting factor, yeah, where, you know, which part of the world or which part of the country you're born in. Um, and I'll give you some examples shortly as to what we're doing there. Um, so as an employer, but then, you know, look, McLaren as a as a global brand has huge reach. So there is, for me, back on the moral and ethical point, we, we there is a duty here for us to really amplify this globally and to use our brand for good. And, you know, to uh, use our platform, Netflix, you know, social channels, the countries we race in, to continue to progress this agenda by having an active voice to say diversity and inclusion is important. McLaren supports this. And by the way, we're putting our effort and our money where our mouth is Mm -hmm. in terms of driving this agenda. So, the alliance that you mentioned, McClan Racing Engage, you know, look, we also recognize that as a a racing, we don't have all the answers. So, we went out and we have engaged with uh, four uh, charities, social enterprise organizations, who are just experts in their field. They know this stuff, they live and breathe it day in, day out. And we said, we want to create a collaboration that drives a really progressive, short, mid, and long term agenda that uh, helps us progress as an employer helps us progress as a brand, helps us progress as the motorsports industry. So we're doing some cool stuff. So we have scholars who are going through the small piece, Art uh, Scholarship uh, who are, you know, super talented boys and girls uh, who want to be engineers, but maybe don't have the uh, kind of social background typically that would, uh, yep. support that. And so we invest money, we invest, we give them access to our engineers, we mentor them, work experience, internships, so that when they emerge out the other side, hopefully I can offer them a contract, right? But if not, um, you know, or they want to go and do something else, we have created some wonderful, talented students who can then go feed into the engineering uh, uh, area. We've also, uh, working with Creative Access, uh, launched a bursary. Uh, which is giving money direct to underprivileged um, uh, you know, youngsters who are desperate for a career uh, in the creative industry, but where finances can be a limiting factor. What does that mean? Getting to an interview, right? Yep. Having a car, uh, having a laptop, right? That allows them to do their own their, their creative practice. And so we funded uh, a whole range of uh, uh, youngsters there to give them access and to give them a leg up. Um, And I could go on then, right? Again, it's a thing I'm so passionate about. And look, this is a long-term investment. It is real. These are not just words. We are really putting effort behind this. The one thing I'll finish on then is us as an employer and a, a statistic I'm really, really proud of. Since we really started to focus in on this around our recruitment processes where we're trying to source our candidates from both established professionals, but also early career professionals. Last year in 2021, 47% of the new starters who came into McLaren were from a diverse background. That's amazing. And I am super proud of that. And I'm proud of the team. I'm proud of the organization. Now, we need to sustain that. And we have talent issues where sometimes there just isn't diversity in the talent pool, yep. which is why there's a longer term play on this as well to try and build the, the, the kind of feeder pipeline. Um, but we're off to a great start. We're not there. We're not finished. We have a lot more to do, but we're on the right track.
0: Good. No, it, it's great to hear about businesses like yourselves driving that change. And you know, it's, there's a difference between talking the talk and walking the walk. And I think the, yes. um, the examples you said there, you're definitely making those strides and, um, obviously moving on slightly so so McLaren have had great success recently and, and something that comes to mind is obviously Monza last year with the the 1-2 with Danny Rick and, and Lando both on the podium and I'm, I'm not sure if you're at the race or not but how much does a win like that motivate your teams internally and create excitement around the factory? Oh, you know
1: Ben, look, I can't overstate how important it is and it, it's back to the my earlier point about you know why do we exist as a sports team you know well increasingly we exist for a lot of reasons but at the real pinnacle as a sports team you're competitive you are there to win races right yep. you know we're, we are also there to service our fans right and entertain them we're there to look after our wonderful partners uh, we're there to support things like diversity and inclusion but we're a sports team we're here to win, to, to see success on the track. So look, it's huge. You know, when you've been on a tough journey, you know, McLaren had several years of hard times and tough performance, which plays out in the public domain. So you can't hide from it to, you know, then be uh, making changes as a collective and really starting to shift uh, how we think, how we operate as an organization and the culture that we want and who we want to be. And the the, the, the all of the changes that we've made and continue to make when you see that play out on the track it's the ultimate it's the ultimate gratification and you know we are a humble team we do not get ahead of ourselves right but of course it's a wonderful thing to them internally to be able to celebrate with your people and the relentless hard work and commitment that they give us day in day out um so yeah it's fab and it gives you a taste of success right mm-hmm. so it it, it does motivate you to double down and push harder because, you know, it shows you can do it. Now, let's be clear, winning a race is very different to winning races uh, week in, week out, right? But nonetheless, you know, a handful of years ago, we couldn't have dreamed of being on a podium, let let alone winning a race. So, yeah, super important, lots of celebration. We may have enjoyed a tipple, (laughs) <laughs> uh, with our workforce uh, and with our drivers just to say thank you and well done and keep up the hard work. But, you know, heads back down, we've got to keep pushing.
0: Hopefully this season we'll have a, we'll have a number of more wins, um, fingers crossed. And um, I'm, I'm sure fans would love to to know this. Obviously, we see Zach Brown in interviews and and on race days, but what's he like as a boss?
1: Um, look, do you know what? The, the easiest answer for that is what you see is what you get. Right. So there is no there is no mystery behind the man. Right. What you see on Drive to Survive and the interviews is a guy who is first and foremost, you know, super passionate about racing. Right. He's been a lifelong racer, a fan of McLaren as a brand. And, you know, when you have a a CEO where you have that real mixture of personal commitment and emotion with his kind of acumen, Uh, It's uh, a really powerful combination. Um, You know, he works brutally hard, Uh, we work brutally hard, um, but we do it with good grace and a smile because, you know, you talk about that concept uh, within, you know, leadership around followership and how, you know, a leader inspires people. And again, we'll see examples of that in the real world today. Uh, you know, uh, uh, and Zach really does engender that trust and that loyalty because he's incredibly empowering. He he's built you know a great team, uh, and uh, and he trusts us to bring our best to work and the advice we give. Um, you know, and and as I said before, from a people point of view, having a CEO who genuinely cares and understands the importance of the role people play in our success is you can't ask for any more. So, yeah, look, you know, great guy. And, uh, you, you know, we have some laughs. Uh, he likes to talk about creating a, a rewarding, fun, but demanding work environment and trying to get that mix right, uh, which is kind of the utopia. And, you know, we, we're getting it right and we continue to push on it. But, uh, yeah, look, he leads from the front and, uh, yeah, you know, great figurehead for, for, for our organisation.
0: No, great to hear. And um, as, as we come to the conclusion of today's episode, I, I always love to try and extract some gems of advice from our guests for listeners. So as a sort of two-parter, what would be your best piece of advice for for leaders, but then also what would you say to early professionals and people sort of just starting out their career?
1: Well, I feel the pressure, Ben,
0: <laughs> of answering this question, but
1: I've had you know great advice and support, as I said before myself. So pay it forward. Um, look, let me start with the early professionals, I think. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily come through the conventional route into the workplace. I didn't go to university. I worked hard academically, and I did well academically, but the time was right that I just wanted to get into the workplace. Yeah. So the first piece of advice I'd give you, particularly in this modern world, is explore your routes into the workplace, right? Because it's not just a one-size-fits-all. The apprenticeship schemes, there are graduate apprenticeship schemes Indeed, still, you know, wonderful grad grad schemes. But, you know, explore that because organisations increasingly are very open and diverse in, in how you can get into the workplace. But I think, you know, for me personally, uh, what has defined my career and my own success is, you know, look, I've always worked hard. Uh, I've always applied myself. And, and look, that gets recognised. And if you combine that with... You know, uh, I've always had a philosophy. If I'm set a deadline, I always beat it. Always, right? Might be by half a day, a day, a week, right? But for me, that diligence and execution, not compromising quality, is something that as you work your way through your career will become, will always be noticed and really valued by your leaders. They know you are dependable and reliable and whatever you're asked to do is going to be delivered. And now as a leader myself, and I have a wonderful leadership team uh, working with me, I know the importance of if I say to them, I need your help, can you do this? Not having to think about it again, because I just know that on it, and it's going to get delivered to a high quality and to time is just invaluable and probably one of the most invaluable things. So being that being that conscientious, diligent uh, employee who just you know takes it rolls with it delivers it um I, I think is is something that that i value and something i've always personally and still now by the way zach asked me to do something it's going to get done right yeah. you know and, and he knows that and, and and i think that's something that stays with you all the way through um you know look my my advice to to broader leaders, goodness, I, I I feel underqualified to give advice to other leaders. Um, not at all,
0: not at all. You know,
1: I, I take inspiration from the people who are around me and I continue to be amazed by by the quality of, and, and you know, the challenges that leaders face into in, in all walks of business and life. Um, but, you know, look, my, my greatest advice is, uh, and it's a personal value for me, and that's just around authenticity and about bringing yourself to work. And I think, you know, I think all leaders to some degree have this kind of corporate mask. Are you truly the same person that your kids experience at home? Maybe not. But, you know, I think if you want to have that loyalty and that support of the people around you and people who genuinely want to stay with you and want to work with you, you know, for them to see not just the serious side, but also the playful side of your personality um and to see you as a human being right you know and not some automatron someone who's just out there cranking out the results but someone who wants to have a laugh you know wants to have fun and create a good positive work environment doesn't mean you're not serious about results or about work ethic and and driving things hard um you know uh, i think that's important and the other thing for me is and i remember going through this transition then as you you know really do move into those senior leadership roles where you're no longer the expert in the room and you have to get comfortable and not threatened by the fact that the people reporting into you are on face value on paper and in reality, probably more talented than you are. Mm -hmm. But your job is to build that talent pool and to support them, enable them, give them freedom and give them air cover when they need it. But you know, you're not there to take credit for their results. You're not there to always tell them what to do, but you are there as an advisor. And I think the sooner you get comfortable with that, mm. A, it's bloody liberating as a leader where you suddenly go, I know what my job is. Uh, but gosh, it's rewarding as well. Right? It, just to see people flourish and be their best versions of themselves and to see that little role that you play in that, awesome. And that's what enriches me every day and, and makes me you know, feel like I'm adding value. There you go, they're my
0: pills of wisdom. Ben. Perfect. No, I, I think there's two things from that one, um, with the the autonomous stuff, like it always comes back to the, the saying that everyone puts their trousers on one leg at a time, like that everyone's the same in that respect. Um, but also, as you say, the the important and I've seen in businesses that I've worked in the importance of having a leader that doesn't try to be the smartest in the room is just so pivotal because then also your team feels so much more valued because they're adding stuff to and they're they're being heard because if you recognise you're not the smartest, you welcome their inputs. Not only do you get the best results from whatever you're doing, but also your team feels valued and empowered and it's like a win-win all round. It
1: is. And Ben, look, uh, uh, not being the smartest in the room, I find very easy.
0: (laughs) He, same here. <laughs> um, and, uh, just to, to finish off and kind of roll out the red carpet for you if anyone wants to find out some more information about yourself or McLaren racing there and obviously all of your teams um where's the best place for them to do so
1: yeah i mean look we are certainly in terms of us as a race team we are all over the social channels you'll mm-hmm. find us on linkedin for the more business focused stuff but we are on facebook instagram twitter tiktok I've no idea what TikTok is. I've got to be honest, but apparently the youth like it. So yeah. you'll you'll
0: be on it from this episode. Don't worry. Yeah, we're very
1: prevalent. <laughs> oh right, well there there you go. Some introduction to TikTok, Ben. Um, uh, we have a website which is pretty informative. We have a McLaren app which you can download, and uh, particularly at race weekends. Uh, and as always, you know personally, I'm always you know uh, super happy to hear from people. You can contact me on LinkedIn. Uh, I love engaging with with you know people, and I get lots of approaches about how do you get into F one and blah blah blah. And uh, I don't always get to reply immediately, but I always try and get around it. So yeah, loads of ways you can engage with the organisation and 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 with me personally.
0: Amazing, thanks. And yeah, Daniel, I've, I've absolutely loved um, today's episode. It's been an absolute pleasure having you join me for the final episode of. Let's Shape the Future Season 3. It's been amazing learning about you as a person, your your role as a Chief People Officer, and obviously um, McLaren Racing as a brand. Um, So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Absolutely, my pleasure, Ben. Thank you for having me on, and best of luck.
0: And that's a wrap on Series 3 of Let's Shape the Future. A big thank you to all of our guests, to yourselves for listening, and also to our sponsors, Beamery, i've really enjoyed the last 10 episodes and i can't wait to bring you season four very very shortly if you have enjoyed the content please leave a review and share with any friends family or colleagues who would also enjoy in the meantime i'll catch you in a couple of weeks